Welcome back to the Weighing In Podcast presented by Track Wrestling. I'm your host, Alex Steen. This is episode 112. On the line, as always, David Miracatani. David, I've got a house full of family. It's Christmas Eve, and here we are again recording this podcast. Uh, I, anybody else recording today? I, I don't know. We're committed to the process. I've been accused of not being committed over the years at certain points in my life, so um, I feel like this is growth for me. <laughs> um, Merry Christmas, man. Good talking to you. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. Happy holidays to everybody out there. It's uh, If you do hear some stuff in the background, like I said, I got a fa- house full of family here. You know, you can't control all the little ones. They're hyped up. Uh, Christmas Eve, Santa's coming and all that st- good stuff. So uh, we'll get into it. A lot of stuff going on this week, which which is interesting because we didn't have a whole lot of wrestling. We'll get to the results and a couple of lineups and you know, Lehigh's looks like they're getting healthy, which is good. But the first thing I think on everybody's mind, this uh, incident, I don't want to, I don't want to dub it anything in particular because kind of overused trying to give a label to everything, but uh, uh, New Jersey high school dual. Basically the situation is at Buena regional high school kid takes the mat. It's about to take the mat for his match in dual meet. And ref looks at his hair and says, Hey, your hair's too long. You got to have a cover. He says, I got a cover. Well, apparently that cover was not attached to the headgear, which has been required for a few years now, at least. Um, so after some arguments, the ref puts him on the injury time clock says, you know, either fix it or you're going to forfeit. Um, ends up kid has him cut his hair, which has inspired a lot of, reactions from across the country from around the world um you know the kid ended up winning the match in sudden victory um the original take that i saw was you know what a team player and now we're having a a wider conversation um there's another piece to this uh kid was a young african-american man and this official has been sanctioned in the past for uh, using a racist slur so there's just there's a lot of levels to this um I don't even know where to begin. David, why don't you tell us your reactions when you first uh, heard this story and, and as you've gotten more info on it? Well, I was at the, I mean, we could get into this later, but I was at the Liberty Park Hill duel in Kansas City, which was awesome. And then was at Kansas City Stampede Tournament, which had some great wrestling. And, and you know how this stuff goes and you're in the wrestling community and stuff comes up and you're lucky enough to have a podcast people talk to you about it and um, people were calling it Harrogate and uh, you know I think the general reaction was look man it's a bad look people shouldn't be doing this Um, you know I was one of those coaches that always went with my guys to weigh in made sure they made weight you know because you know goofy things happen a scale gets jostled whatever um, but it's it's been a couple of years since I've done that. You know, one of my questions, you know, to you or to whoever was, you know, somebody made the analogy like, well, you know, if you're on bottom and you stand up and you peel one finger, that's illegal. And you they go one point and the guy can't go, I didn't know that was a rule. It's like, well, we're sorry you didn't know that's a rule, but it is. You're responsible to know about those ahead of time. The hair rule, you know, having it covered and having it, attached to your headgear obviously is in the rule book but i also think there needs to just be some compassion right and some uh i don't know if i want to say common sense because i don't know how common it is but like one of the best referees i know is mike haggerty and i've seen him a couple times where he's been had some tough scenarios and he's maybe not exactly followed the rules but he did the best thing for both guys and the coaches on both sides, like, neither one of them could argue it. And I think, you know, in this case, it was a dual meet. And maybe you just go, well, look, you know, we're going to push your match back a couple weight classes. You're going to need to find something. Or you can default. You know, but I I don't even agree that it's a good rule, kid. But I, I have to follow this rule. Um, you know, but also it's right before Christmas. I know it sounds silly. Maybe you have holiday pictures. And how important is this one dual meet? one match of a dual meet in December, maybe you just default and you make sure that you have your hair cover for after Christmas and it's a good learning experience and, and none of this has to happen. But it's, 
you know, it's a problem. And I don't feel like, you know, the other thing is this, and I think, you know, this is like, you know, you're, you're, everyone has a good mother will tell you this, like, and it's, it's a, an outdated statement, but if what you're doing, if it was on the front page of the newspaper tomorrow, would you be okay with it? Obviously, the, you know, the outdated part is the newspaper with the internet, but, you know, what this referee had done earlier sets himself up where he gets absolutely no benefit of the doubt. And really deservedly so, right? Like, you know, if you use that word, people are going to assume that that's how you look at race. And then everything you do assigned to race is going to be attached to that. So, yeah, I felt bad for the kid. Uh, and, And I think there were just so many other ways to handle it than how they did. I'm not even saying that within the letter of the law, they did anything wrong, but I think common sense really has to prevail here. And I'm pretty sure the coach on the other side is not one of those guys that goes, well, we want the, you know, we want the default. We're going to make this kid cut his hair. I mean, I've seen that happen plenty of times where, you know, I saw a referee one time, we're talking about like blood time in high school. It's five minutes. And the guy goes, look, we don't want a mask decided by that. He goes, so sometimes that clock starts a little late. And sometimes when they just start putting that first clot in his, you know, the cotton ball in his nose, we stop the clock. The first time, you know, I mean, there's ways to interpret the rules where the greater good happens. So, you know, people should know you and I do a rundown of this. We haven't really talked a lot about each other's opinions on this, more just trying to get the facts right. So, you know, what is your take on this whole thing? Yeah, I mean, you covered a lot there, and you know, there's so many levels to this that um, I think we could probably do the entire hour, which we won't, but we could probably do the entire hour talking through all the different ways this came to be and what should happen and what needs to change in you know in the attitudes and the rule book and just all sorts of different things. Um, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but I have a master's degree in sport administration, so I take the making of rules and how to you know, prevent this sort of situation a little more seriously than most, I think, you know, I've studied how to do that and how to avoid this type of situation. And so it it infuriates me when you have a rule on the books, and I'm not saying this is a rule that is like that, but when you have a rule on the books that people just say, oh, we don't, we don't enforce that, you know, it's there, but we don't enforce it. And, you know, this young man had wrestled in another tournament already this season and was not questioned, um, was not forced to wear the correct head covering based on the rule. And that's how that kind of stuff happens. Like that's how we get to this point. No one says anything. So he didn't have a chance to remedy it. You know, coaches didn't notice it in the preseason, you know, didn't understand the rule, whatever it was, you know, the head coach hasn't put out a statement. He's referring people to a superintendent, which I totally understand when there's a media firestorm like this and you, know, you, don't, you don't feel you're equipped to handle it. I totally get it. You know, I'm not, I'm not coming down on him. It's just, you know, they missed it. The first tournament missed it. Um, you know, at weigh-ins, everything I could see on direction says that the officials are supposed to make sure in grooming areas, in equipment areas, that things are good to go at weigh-ins. You know, you can see this young man has long hair. You should make sure that he has the correct covering that attaches to his headgear so that he can wrestle. So this should have brought, been brought up at weigh-ins. Um, everything I can tell, it wasn't. Um, I don't know that for sure because I can't find any statements that really cover what happened at weigh-ins. So maybe it did, I don't know. But um, And then by the time they get to the mat and that injury clock starts, now you're all fired up. You know, you've been arguing with the officials, you know, the default stands there. You're in competition mode already, which we all know is a little bit different mindset. At that point, I'm not surprised it got to this point where it's like, okay, now we're going to cut this kid's hair and whether he asked him to do it, you know, or not is really not the point because he's the kid in that situation and the coaches need to protect him. But I understand why they didn't think it through and go, Hey, maybe this isn't the most important thing in the world. Maybe, you know, this duel, maybe we should just take the default, you know, and go get him proper equipment for the next time. Like maybe it's not that important, um, you know, and and if that had happened, this doesn't blow up, you know, it was like, nobody's reporting on, well, they made him default. 
because he didn't have the correct equipment. Like that's not a thing that I don't think would have blown up. Instead, we have this really terrible look. And, you know, that's another part of this. You know, you mentioned, you know, the referee doesn't get any benefit of the doubt. And I agree with that. You know, you've proven yourself, you know, when I, I like the saying that when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. And so yeah. he's, he's done that. So, and every time now, something comes up in a situation where he's refereeing, refereeing a match and this could be racial bias. How can you assume it's not? Because at this point he's, you know, he's written that for himself. So it, it's tough situation. I think we need to talk about, you know, the rule, whether that should be revisited. I know it's funny because with the growth of the women's sport, you, know, you watch WCWA wrestling sometime. There's a lot of hair. There's a lot of, you know, stuff's going around and, they don't wear hair covers. That was, that was, I don't want to interrupt you. That's a great point. That's something one of my friends said. He's like, he goes, he said almost exactly what you said. He's like, look, women's wrestling is, is coming strong. And I saw it at the high school tournament this weekend. And the, like the Randall high school girls, by the way, shout out to them. They just brought in some savages that were doing work over there. But like you said, hair's popping out and nobody's going time out. She's got to cut her hair. Yeah. Like, and I don't know if that's like one of the few times in life where sexism is actually pro-female. <laughs> I don't know if that's, you know, I mean, it almost feels like it, right? Like, well, I'm not going to make that girl cut her hair, but this, this guy's got to. Like, well, I mean, there's just so many other ways it could have been handled, right? And it's almost just like, let's let cooler heads prevail. And, and you, the one thing I can't get behind is, you know, if they say, well, the kid said to cut my hair. Kids are competitors. They're going to do what they have to do. And even if they're borderline, they don't want to let their team down. Like, you know, somebody there is the adult and somebody is there that should say, you can't, no, you can't, we're, we're not letting you make that decision. It's not fair to you to make that decision. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you, we talked yeah, about that a little bit off air. Um, and that's right. It's the problem with letting a kid like that, you know, make that decision is that then the next time this comes up somewhere else and, you know, that kid is going to be expected to make it. And the next one and the next one, it sets that precedent that this is something you do. You just do it. You know, you just let them cut your hair and it's, you know, then you get to a point where someone for whatever reason doesn't want to make that decision and they're unfairly cast as not a team player when this is all so irrelevant to wrestling it's not about the team it's just you know these kids have that's why it bothers me so much that it got to this point this should have been identified when cooler heads could prevail so you're not standing on the side of a mat trying to make this decision and you know i don't know if the coaches would make a different decision today than they did um, i would hope so after thinking about it for a while but yeah you know yeah. It, it's one of those things if this had been identified at weigh-ins maybe someone goes what are we doing? Of course, we're not going to let make him cut his hair, let him default. We'll get it in the right equipment, even if they couldn't find the equipment in time for the match, which would have been nice. But, you know, just let cooler heads prevail. It led all this point. We got so many errors were made by so many people that we got to this point where it becomes this absurd thing where we're standing on the edge of the mat and, and we're talking about it here on a national podcast about a New Jersey high school duel. Like that's, that's never what you want. And so many people could have headed this off. That, that's the frustrating part, I think. Yeah, I, I think, you know, just to reiterate, like, the adults are responsible for this. Like, right. you know, anybody goes, well, you know, the kid should know the rule and the kid should have his own hair, thing, you know, hair cover, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, it's, it's his thing. No. I mean, maybe theoretically in a perfect world, but it's, he's a kid. And anybody that's coached kids know, I mean, kids forget wrestling shoes. They forget knee pads. They forget headgears. They forget scales. They, I mean, you know, we used to give our kids a packing list every week and like, you know, make sure, you know, check all this off. And they would still, I didn't, I forgot the list or why well, didn't really scratch everything off. Like, okay. And they don't mean it on purpose. Nobody goes, I'm not going to bring my wrestling shoes to the tournament on purpose. This is just something that, like, 
and literally, like, on my notes, what I thought we'd end up talking about this week, I have this line, like, why wrestling is its own worst enemy, like how we wrestle dual meets, you know, most of the year, which, you know, like when I do rankings, when you did rankings, we don't even look at who won the duel. We look at who won the 10 matches, and then, you know, and then we do a, a tournament scoring one system for our regionals or national qualifiers, and then a three-day tournament, which we never hold all year, and that's how we're going to decide the tournament. And five guys can beat 10 and, and all this crazy stuff. My point of that is this was a dual meet where the only thing that matters here possibly would be maybe this kid would lose a seed at the district tournament. And for all this to happen, and I mean, you and I are recording this on Christmas Eve. This kid's probably going to be in Christmas pictures and probably not with the haircut he wanted. Clearly. Or he would have had that haircut when he showed up at the wrestling meet. So, I mean, it sounds trivial, but that's a real thing, you know. And, you know, I'm I'm old. You're old-ish, not as old as me, but old enough where stuff like that doesn't affect us as much. But it's just a terrible look for the sport that we love. And, and adults have to do better. And when you have the whole tones, the whole undertones of – the racial side of it, it's even worse, man. It's just a bad, bad look. Yeah, and you hit on something there. I mean, it's it's interesting because, yeah, you'll have people that go, well, what's the big deal? You know, he cut his hair. And, and, yeah, I know, in the grand scheme of things, you're right. There's a lot worse things that could happen. But we ask these kids to sacrifice so much for this sport that when you get to that point, it's like, what are we gaining here by making you do this? It's just it, – it doesn't make sense. And, you know, you talked about well, common sense isn't that common, and that's you're right. The clear thing here is we need to enforce the rules as written or get rid of them. I mean, if he should not have been allowed to wrestle at the tournament the previous week, it should have been identified at weigh-ins. All these things, if you're not going to enforce those things, then get rid of the rule. Like, that's that's the answer, one way or the other. And, I, you know, I obviously would lean towards get rid of the rule. You know, like we, like we talked about with women's college wrestling, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, maybe there are some undertones there from the old days in the sport where, you know, you were supposed to cut your hair high and tight, you know, back in the day. I don't know. But um, it, it doesn't make sense at this point and so many failures. But uh, the good news is that, you know, guys like Jordan Burroughs are reaching out to this young man. Um, obviously, Burroughs being from New Jersey, that's a big deal. Uh, so hopefully some good will come out of this and hopefully will people will learn from this. That's really the thing. Uh, you know, I don't know all the emotions and what happened exactly. We'll never know exactly what was in the referee's head, but if people learn from this and understand that, you know, defaulting isn't the worst thing in the world in that sort of situation. And if more people understand the rules, so this doesn't come up again, that's a good thing. There's just so many good things that can come from this, but we have to learn from it. And we're not always good at that as a wrestling community. So learn from it. Everyone understand. Think through what's going to happen if this happens to you someday so that you don't have to make an emotional decision in the moment. Have, it thought, have thought it through. Make sure you understand what you're going to do in that situation and have the answer. I mean, that's, that, this is an opportunity for that, and I hope some people are doing that. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, you know, but the one sort of caveat is, you know, I agree either don't, you know, enforce the rule or don't have it. But in that scenario, you're not going to literally be able to change the rule. And like I said, I've seen some really good referees, maybe not necessarily enforce the rule 100%. And they, it was the greater good. I think if this guy, the referee, if he had let, they, you know, whatever weight class this was, they pushed it back three weight classes and they wrestled, you know, this it gave the kid 20 minutes to find air cover. I think whatever complaints about that would have been significantly less than the complaints we have now. Yeah. No, like, no, no, like, no, no I agree. Like, like oh, the, well, we're going to complain that the guy showed humanity. <laughs> right. I mean like, Oh, well, you know, my guy was ready to warm up and now he had to wait 20 minutes. Like, dude, get over yourself. Yeah, I, I do. I agree with that. And I I don't, yeah, I, I hate, I'm not trying to say we should always, you know, stick to the letter of the law in the moment. It's just that, you know, now we're past it. We can't go back. It's like, okay, what do we learn from this? Enfor needed to enforce the rules yeah. or don't. Like one of the two. So, yeah. But yeah, you know I, I agree. Thing. I just want to, I just want to point, I don't want people to think you're saying that because right. I know who you are and we're saying the same thing. Like, 
we all, you and me, I can't, I can only speak. I know for myself, but I know you well enough to know you wanted to see the most humanitarian thing done there. And, right. and something like that would have been better. Absolutely. Like 100%. Yeah. So, yep. It's nice anyway, to and it's not the end of the world. So, <laughs> and once again, we're in the national news for the wrong reasons. Instead of all the great wrestling being done out there, we're talking about, hair and <laughs> equipment and rules, yeah. which nobody wants. So, yeah. And that, that, that's a terrible, terrible, uh, tangent of this, you know, that, that this, like you said, you know, we got huge tournaments coming up this weekend. We just had beast of the East on track wrestling. You know, I just saw an unbelievable duel come down to where a hometown kid had to get a pin to keep a 35 win streak, dual match win streak alive. And he did it. I mean, these are the story. Like, I, I I saw Thursday night. I'm like, I know what we're talking about first thing on Monday morning, and I'm like, oh, I guess hopefully we'll have time to get to that. You know, like that's how quick it changes. You know, right? So yeah. Anyway, yeah. well, you know, our thoughts are are with that young man, and you you put a nice bow on it. People need to learn from this. Coaches need to learn from this. And we just, we need to be more humanitarian. We need to be better. Like we literally just need to be better people in this scenario. And, and maybe it's uncommon sense, but whatever it is needs to prevail. I agree. And we'll move on to the rest of the wrestling world. Um, one of the good news of the weekend at the Wilkes open, um, Lehigh got a lot of their wrestlers back that have missed time in recent weeks. Uh, Luke Karam wrestled at 141, Cortland Schuyler, Gordon Wolf, Ryan Price, Chris Weiler, who was down at 184, which is interesting enough. And uh, yeah. Kyle Gentile all were in the brackets, uh, which is good for them. Still no Scotty Parker, still a few bodies left to get back for uh, the Mountain Hawks. But overall, it's been a tough start for Lehigh because they're missing, you know, multiple starters in every duel. Uh, so it was good to see that. Uh, what do you, what do you make of that <laughs> with all those injuries and just getting guys back at the end of December? Well, and you also, you know, you didn't mention Connor Shrams went out, right? Right. He's not, so, I mean, so I don't know if it's an injury. I don't know if they all got the flu, like the flu almost makes more sense, right? Like for a virus or something that wiped everybody out. But I, I don't, I don't have anybody deep up there in the weeds that's telling us what's going on. Uh, we didn't change the rankings for these guys this week because it would have been a lot of conjecture. And also, we have the benefit of South Beach Tools next week, which will, you know, hopefully they're wrestling in those matches and then they're going to wrestle some quality opponents and we'll be able to figure out pretty quickly where they are. You know, Lehigh, you and I joked, if everybody had to wrestle their third team or even their second team at Nationals, Lehigh would be in the trophies every year. So, I mean, they have unbelievable depth. And, you know, hopefully this will allow them to get, you know, the, the right 10 guys they want in the lineup for sure. Yeah, always good to see. Um, that was kind of – it was interesting because the Wilkes Open, that was kind of the biggest note from that tournament. Um, it wasn't super deep. Uh, overall, around the country, there weren't a lot of results to change the rankings. But uh, what – well, let's let's get into the rankings. Um, we'll go through the weights. Uh, tell us about Resolite this week. So, just want to thank Resolite for their con uh, continuous sponsorship of us. They're, they're your one source for both classic and lightweight mats. From their zip mat, the first and only tape-free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system, to Resolite's exclusive DigiPrint mat, the one fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, the mat company. Um, you want to give a shout-out to Paul and Matt Gilbert. Love those guys. Um, 125, I don't have any notes. Did anybody move at 125? No, we just kind of looked at some. Oh, Jack Mueller. Oh, Jack Mueller's Jack, back. Yes, I forgot to put Jack oh. Mueller. Jack Mueller and looked like a beast. I mean, he wrestled Dak Punky, so who's, you know, somewhere probably second or third string at Mizzou with Colby Smith and um, Cameron Valdivias, but he looked legit. And he is immediately is in the conversation for a finalist contender, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we had to, we had to move him in. 
and we moved Louis Hayes up. And, you know, we made the decision to move him in. Let me see here. We moved him in at seven, right behind um, basically all the returning All-Americans and ahead of Fawz. But, you know, he probably could have gone as high as five. So um, he looked really tough, though, man. You know, I think he's legit, don't you, Alex? Yeah, I absolutely do. I was very surprised. Not only that he came out of red shirt, um, I mean, it's, I guess I'm, I should become less surprised because it's happening more that, you know, these guys announce they're going to red shirt and then don't last, you know, a couple months before they're coming back out of red shirt. And, and you know, that's not a knock on anybody because, you know, it's, it's a fluid situation. You can come out of red shirt whenever you like, um, both from a you know, coaching staff and individual standpoint. So that's not a, it's not a knock. It's just, it seemed like in the past when somebody would say, well, I'm red shirting, we wouldn't usually see them come out, but it seems to happen more and more now um, that these guys announce it and then don't. But it, yeah, it's interesting, both that and that he's at 125, which I, I didn't expect, especially with Louis Hayes there. Um, but I don't know what the cut was like for Hayes. Maybe he's having trouble. Maybe it just worked out this way. But, uh, you know, Mueller was very good at 25 his freshman year. He was very good last year at 133. But um, I think you're right, 25, he's in that conversation for that other spot opposite Spencer Lee in the finals. And that's that's a huge opportunity. So I don't know if that weighed into it or what exactly, but it's it's always good to have talented guys back in the lineup. He wrestled a really fun style to watch too. And, uh, you know, was a big part of that duel. He got uh, pinpoints, which if we have time to dive into that duel, were very crucial at the time. Absolutely. That was the one you were, you were mentioning with the walk-off pin. Uh, <laughs> that was a wild duel. So hopefully we'll get to it. Um, yeah. Moving up to 133 pounds, I, the biggest upset at this weight this weekend was she, and I, I, I apologize if I butcher this name, but I think it's Shequan Hall of Grandview upset Josh Terrell seven to six out in Reno. I mean, it was good to see Terrell on the mats. He hadn't wrestled a lot in the early season, uh, but Grandview really, and we'll get to a couple other of their results. <laughs> yeah. They did a nice job out in Reno, acquitting themselves against some D1 teams. Shout out to Nick Mitchell and Grant Turner and my boys up there in Des Moines getting it done. And, uh, yeah, uh, Hall's a, a next Juco kid and uh, real talented. Um, it, it moved, obviously, to route on a few spots. And um, we popped Louis Hayes in the rankings down in, at 22. It, it, it kind of felt like he could go, you know, in that range. And I think what people need to understand, too, is when you're looking at something like that as a ranker, you really only are trying to decide you're trying to find the right spot for him, but like you don't want to artificially manipulate team scores. So, I mean, 22, 25, 17 are all the same team points. And so obviously he's going to have a chance, his chance to work his way up. But yeah, those, that was the big, those were the two, you know, moves there at, at 33 for sure. Moving up to 141, uh, Sam Turner had himself a tournament out in Reno, um, upset Cade Brock five to four. Um, Brock had beaten Turner in the duel previously, so that re- flipped a result. And then Turner turned around and beat Austin Eicher of Michigan State to win the tournament and was named Most Outstanding Wrestler. Um, you know, watching Turner, you know, I, I saw him in the duel against Oklahoma State. I saw a couple of his matches out in Reno. He's very long, very tall. And just presents a lot of problems. Um, I don't think a lot of people are going to blow him out this year. So he's going to be in matches and he's tough on top, which of course uh, Brock struggles on the mat. So that became an issue. I think a lot of people are going to look at this through the lens of, you know, Brock continues to struggle, which is fair. Um, But it's also, you know, Turner is going to present some problems. And if he pulls an upset or two at the national tournament, it's not going to be a surprise, I think. Yeah, he's like nine and eight, though. So you know how this goes. You know, we're like, I was the lower ranked guy and I upset you. You know, do I move above you? Do you move down below me? Or do we meet somewhere in the middle? And Cade Brock's only like got a 500 record now, like a little bit over. So Cade Brock is, you know, down at 20. Now, if you said to me, who's the 20th best ranked guy in the country in the 10 weight classes, I'll take Cade Brock. Yeah. I don't even need to look at who the other nine are. But. You know, it, it was it's goofy because you know you got Matt Finley who beat Red, Red who beat Turner, Turner who beat Brock. I mean, you know, the good news for Kate is even in the Big Twelves, like some of the guys that are above him, like Finley, 
Ian Parker, um, Josh Albert, Dom Demas. You know, he can certainly move his way back up into the rankings, but it's not been a great season for him. And I'm not sure that he's really a 41-pounder. I, I, I think, you know, you and me had talked about this and kind of had differing opinions on it, but I, I, I don't know that he's strong enough for 41. He's never really wrestled a style where he relied on strength. Uh, but I think he was always strong enough to prevent other people's strength from slowing him down and controlling him. And, and we, his bottom struggles are, are obviously well noted. And I think that gets exaggerated or exacerbated as, as you get up to a heavier weight, unless you've really sort of added, if you move up eight pounds, you need to add, you know, nine pounds of muscle. And I'm not sure that that happened. Yeah, I mean, he does look bigger, um, but I, most of it, from what I can tell, was in the lower body, which, you know, that's it's, it's not a necessarily a bad thing, but when you look at his losses this year, you know, McKee, we know those two wrestled tough matches, and he just lost a couple of 50-50s. You can kind of shake that off, but you could also say, well, maybe he's just not as strong. I mean, I know McKee was a 33 as well, but um, maybe he's adapted to the weight better. I don't know. And he loses to Demas. Same kind of thing. Demas, you know, wanted to go upper body, kept stepping in. Maybe if he was a little stronger, he wins a position or two, and that match goes the other way. I don't know. And then, yeah, against Turner, I think his strength was a little bit exposed too. Turner's length really gave him problems. You know, he just he was very close to finishing a couple of takedowns early and missed. Maybe that's a strength thing. I mean, it's hard to say. Um, obviously, you know, we're not down there doing strength tests with the guy, but it's it's a reasonable theory at this point. Um, it, it seems like Brock is close in all these matches, but to lose three like he has already, it's not what we've come to expect from him. So it's worth looking at. And, you know, when they when the rumors of Dayton fixed to 25, which seem to be unfounded, at least at this point, and since fix weighed in pretty much right at 133 for Reno, doesn't seem to be descending, but that would be the only thing to me that would make sense. Why fix would go to 25 as if Brock would be dropping back to 33. And I don't see any hint of that. So it looks like we're, we're just going to roll with the dice here with Oklahoma state and they'll, to their changes in the upper weights, which we'll get to. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting to think about and to wonder what's, what exactly is going on there. Right. Yeah. And if obviously if that happened, pitch becomes the odd guy out, you know, G Feller probably goes down to 41, but you know, if he's making 149, it's going to take him four weeks to get down. And then you're also counting on boo coming back at 49 and being healthy. And, you know, obviously I love boo. He's an awesome kid, but his health has been an issue. So, you know, I mean, I, yeah, you know, it was one of the biggest questions of the off season. And I mean, I guess we sort of have an answer because we're watching guys wrestle, but not even really sure we have any more of an answer than we did, you know? Yeah. It's still clear as mud. <laughs> My old calculus teacher used to tell me. Well, you know, Brock could wrestle the whole season and, you know, go into the tournament as a, you know, double digit seed. And if he all Americans, no one's going to remember that part. So you just don't know. We're all we're all going to watch this and see what happens. We're all along for the ride. I, I don't know where this is going. Yeah, for sure. Moving up to, for sure. Moving up to 149. Um, I don't think this affected the uh, seeds, uh, you know, the rankings any. But uh, Christian Montserrat, West Virginia beat Ryan Blease four to one. Montserrat's, uh, you know, tough kid, but Blease is really struggling. That surprises me. I, I don't know if I. I don't know if I picked him to get an All-American or not uh, this year, but I thought he would be at least in the conversation. He's really struggling. I think he's four and seven now. Um, did you see anything else at 149? No, I got a chance to watch Brock Mahler wrestle again in person. And, uh, you know, literally they were kind enough. I had front row seat. And uh, uh, I think that dude's going to be a handful. I, I think he's going to be in the blood round at Nationals. So, you know, I think people need to, to get woke on him. Cause I think he's coming. So, um, I'm just telling you, yeah. you know, and it's very interesting. There's a little school in the middle of Missouri called father Tolton Catholic. And there are class one in Missouri, that's small school. So you can, they'll tell you about the attendance. They have three division one starters back to back to back in one of the best lineups in the country. <laughs> so it's shout out to, to James Williamson and, and, you know, to Mizzou keeping all those guys close to home, but they're back to back to back. And, you know, it's cool watching those guys slap each other high five when they walk off the mat, you know, when you go from Jaden to 
come over to JQ. So you can tell those guys are, are buddies. You know, it's it's good to cool look. Yeah, that is cool. And, you know, you mentioned Mahler in round of 12. I think 49 is one of those where you could make an argument for a lot of guys. So if somebody like him steps up and wrestles well, suddenly he becomes you – can, you can get a high All-American uh, finish at 49 that few people saw coming. I mean, we all knew Mahler was going to be good. Of course, we thought that was going to maybe be next year. <laughs> but yeah, we'll see where this is going. Um, shout out to them. Moving up to 157, uh, another Grandview guy. Got a Division One uh, scalp on his uh, on his resume. It's a big W, big W. Oh, yeah. big W. Uh, Stephen Lawrence of Grandview pinned Andrew Shomers of Oklahoma State, uh, and it wasn't you know you you see if somebody gets pinned, it's like okay, whatever you know. I I don't know if that's weird things happen, right? But you know Lawrence went out, got the first takedown, they got back to their feet, and he took Shomers down again, dumped him over, and pinned him. So. Uh, that was it was an impressive victory. Shomer's medical forfeited out after that. Lawrence had a, a wild next match and lost in the semifinals. Uh, but it was another Grandview guy showing that you know he could be ranked in in D1 if he wrestled that sort of schedule and was at a D1 school. So um, impressive work by Grandview again. Yeah, I think one of the things that struck me was, and I know Oklahoma State has deep deep roots in Reno. It goes all the way back. I can't think of the guy's name um, that started the tournament and he passed away a year or two ago. So I don't mean any disrespect, but I, I worked Oklahoma state's camp for years and they spoke with great reverence of that man. And I think that's one of the reasons why they continue to go, but that's a tournament where it feels like they can only go down in the rankings. Yeah. You know, like if they go to Vegas instead, there's a chance to move up or down, you know, like, you know, you you know, I'm going through the brackets and, you know, just trying to find results. And I'm like, well, they got nicked up here. They got nicked up there. Well, they won everywhere else they're supposed to win. Like, you know, there wasn't, they, I don't think they had a match where they could jump. I mean, they, I think they put like seven, eight guys in the finals and they lost points. Like that's, that's probably a problem. Yeah. I mean, there was a few guys out there at some of the weights that they could have conceivably, you know, Shomer's had a chance, I think, to beat somebody that was ranked. But yeah, it's right now. It's an, it's a soft tournament, and uh, you know, it's maybe that's what the coaching staff wants. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if they turn around and send all their starters to the scuffle as well. I hope they do. Um, from a fan standpoint, obviously. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, it's it, it. You're exactly right. You know, they could if they don't win every single weight, they're probably losing points in the rankings. And I'm not sure how much, you know, John Smith and that staff care about that, but it, it is odd to see. Um, yeah. You win the tournament by a mile and you kind of come away thinking, well, maybe the Cowboys had a tough weekend. So it's, that's, that's interesting to, to note. Yeah. Moving up to 165. I don't have anything at 165. Did you? No, not, not really. Not, not a lot of big changes there. Nothing at 165. Moving up to 174. The big news was Joe Smith returning um, to the mat. He wrestled 174 in Reno, beat Drew Hughes of Michigan State 16 to three. Got to the finals, looked you know dominant, but uh, they did not wrestle the Jacoby Smith versus Joe Smith final, so we didn't get to see that. Um, you know, big win over Drew Hughes. That's good. I like you know, that that Joe was putting up a lot of points. That was good to see. Uh, but, you know, Hughes has been struggling, so I don't know that we can really draw any conclusions from that. We still don't know. We know that gear is going up to 197, uh, but we don't know where how 65, 74, and 84 are going to shake out. Um, we still don't, right? Yeah, we uh, we reached out to Oklahoma State. They said to rank gear at 97. They said 174 wasn't decided yet. Um, they didn't say Joe was not going down. I don't want to use double negative. There was nothing. They in no way addressed whether Joe was going to 165 or not. But the way that the text message read, it sounded like it was going to be Joe or Jacoby at 74 and the other one at 84. So to be fair, I ranked Joe at 184. I asked him who I should rank at 74. And the, the, the direct quote was, Jacoby has more matches. So... Uh, I, I mean, I don't want to misquote anybody, you know, so that was, I think that's important, you know, when people are kind enough to help you do your job when they have no need to, to quote them accurately. So based on that, we moved Joe in 
at 84, moved him in behind Chip Ness. Basically, he's behind all the All-Americans. And, you know, I had a guy argue with me like, well, he's moving up three weights. Like, he's still Joe Smith. He's still a couple-time All-American. He's still, his dad was pretty good at wrestling, and he's in a pretty good wrestling room. So, you know, his uncle was pretty good at wrestling. So, you know, I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt to be in the top 12 until, and he looked really good this weekend. I mean, the competition wasn't great, but it didn't look like, you know, he's going to get dumped up there or something like that. Yeah, his size looked um, significant, which was obviously a question. I mean, you know, moving up two weights to 74, and uh, you just want – and, of course, we'd heard all the rumors that maybe he was going to try 65, and, you know, even some people wanted to, wanted to see if he could make 57 again, which I don't think is really possible. Um, and when you see him on the mat, you go, yeah, he's never making 57, and I'm not sure he can make 65. He looked plenty big as a 174. Now – what he'll look like against quality competition, we still don't really know. And of course, 184 is another step farther. So uh, it was good that he's back on the mat. Obviously, that means he's healthy and can go. That's good. Uh, Oklahoma State still has a lot of questions to answer in the in that regard. So uh, we'll find. Yeah, out. Like sure. I said, if they take them all to scuffle, that will help. Yeah. Um, moving up to 184, I don't have. Do I have any notes? The next three weights. Uh, no, I, I put in here that 197 is super shallow. Yep. Um, we've had so many guys fall off this year, but Kyle Cannell, um, Jacob Holslog, now Preston Weigel, and you know, I mean, it's there's you know, just been a bunch of guys that have fallen off, and I mean, it, it's it's just a really, I mean. J.I.L.O. went into overtime against Wyatt Kelling from Missouri. Like, and J.I.L.O.'s ranked seventh. Yep. Like, that's not supposed to happen. You know, like, Eric Schultz is ranked 10th and has some crazy losses this year. So, you know, I mean, we got Jacob Warner fourth, and he's wrestled, like, two college matches. So, it's it's crazy. Um, you know, to me, it feels like Bo Nichols on a tier. Colin Moore's on a tier. And then we got a bunch, you know, Willie Miklas, because he lost to Warner, you know, normally I would put him on his own tier next, but I guess he's on the Brucky Warner Miklas tier. And then there's about 16 guys. And four of those dudes are going to, or three of those guys are going to place at nationals minimum. Yeah. So it was it's, funny because well, it's funny. You, you know, kind of were talking over where we should put Dakota gear at one night, you know, moving up to 197, and at first, it seemed odd to put him where Weigel was because obviously he does not have the resume that Weigel does. Um, but then when you start looking at who is below that and their resumes, suddenly it's like, okay, he's beaten Cale Davidson from Wyoming, he's beaten, you know, the Northern Jacob Seeley from Northern Colorado, and suddenly it becomes, well, yeah, he makes sense there. So it just kind of speaks to what you're talking about. It's kind of a shallow weight. And when we talk about shallow weights, it's not that, you know, those guys are necessarily lacking the talent. It's that they lack the resumes. We don't know what J.I.L.O. is going to be. He struggled last year. He's wrestling a lot better this year. So maybe they're making the jump. We don't know. Um, but it's, it's interesting to look at. And like I said, there's just a ton of guys that you could argue could jump up there and hit the ward stand in Pittsburgh. So that'll be fun to watch. It's, it's a nightmare for rankers, but uh, fun for us as, as fans. Yeah. Well, it's not just resume. It's not like it, it is that, but it's also, they're not having consistent years. Right. Like, you know, you go with a guy, you're like, well, this guy has never placed, but look at me, he's smoking everybody. Like, this dude's definitely going to be on the podium, you know? So if somebody said to me right now, Dakota gear, does he place at 197? I'd say, yeah, I think he's going to, like he does some good things. He moves his feet really well. And after those first, maybe four or five guys, nobody up there is really good on his feet. He does really, he does really good with those wrist rides on top. And I, yeah, he's got a chance to get a really good seed too. I mean, if he can wrestle Nicholas tough, if he could beat Nicholas, he's going to be a top five seeded guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got some room so, to grow too, because he's not a full size one ninety seven yet. So, I mean, yeah, granted in season, that's not easy to do, but he's not going to be cutting weight for a little while. So he's He can add a little bit of size before the postseason. So that's even better. 
Oklahoma State is notoriously terrible at helping guys get bulk jobs. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be terrible at that. But, I'm sure uh, he'll, he'll room with Derek White for a while, and, and he'll have to he'll barely make weight by national. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, sure, for sure. Uh, do you want to touch on Elam at heavyweight? Yeah, he just he took kind of a quirky loss. Um, he lost to Quinn Miller. Uh, he was winning, and I I really think he just it's the first time I've seen him look like a freshman. He's been unbelievable this year, but that meet was in Kansas city and he's from there and it was electric and you could literally just see that the crowd unintentionally just sucked all the energy out of his body. So I think he's going to be fine. We actually just, you know, he had beaten gunning like the week before and, you know, beaten a bunch of these guys, like he beat gunning and he beat Demetrius Thomas for third and then Corey Gilliland was, or Corey Gilliland Daniel was fifth. So we literally just gave him a pass, just because he's beating all the guys who were right below him. So I mean, obviously he's on a sort of a shorter leash now, but he really didn't feel right to drop him behind guys he had just beaten head to head. So, you know, but I just I wanted to at least mention it. Yeah, no, that's that's important, and sometimes that's hard to do. Like, do I drop a, a guy three three or four spots behind? all guys that he's beaten head to head for one loss. Sometimes the resume just won't let you do that. So um, in this case, that makes sense. That was a run of three straight wins for Virginia. Why don't you uh, recap ha- how that duel went down a little bit since you were there? Yeah, it was, it was crazy. It started at 84, finished at 74. And Mizzou, they have an unbelievable dual meet consistency record. And, you know, went back and forth. Mizzou 184, Virginia 197. Then Virginia got the upset at 285. Mueller comes back and gets a fall. Uh, then Ernesty, whose dad is the AD at the high school they were at, gets a big major. Um, they go on break, come back, and Jaden Ironman locks up a cradle about six feet from where I'm sitting. I probably could have reached out and pushed him back inbounds if I needed to. Um, Mahler gets a, a good win. Jake Hughes is winning and just gets tired. I, he, I don't think he's out of shape at all. I think the energy of the room just, I think he just got caught up and, uh, he lost, he got pinned by Jake Keating, which really brought the duel back into question. Mizzou didn't have their starting 65 pounder. They wrestled Fortuna and lost. So Mizzou's down four going into 174 and um, I don't know the criteria if they'd gotten a major, you know, what would have happened there. I think it, you know, would have probably came down to overall points and, you know, you could see Steve Garland, like just talk, just trying to get his guy fired up and Daniel Lewis, you know, went out there and did what he normally does, gets a first period takedown and he slapped on a cradle and it was so he had one of those cradles, you know, how cradles where guys are kicking around. You're like, well, this guy might roll himself on his back trying to get out, but if he doesn't, he's going to get out. He had one of those dead cockroach cradles where like <laughs> this guy's not going to move for a while. He's just going to inch him down. Right. And like, I'm sitting where I'm sitting. I can see Lewis and in the background, I can see Garland and the Paulsons and they're, they're doing that coach head tilt where they're just trying to see if there's any angle underneath the scapula. And that place erupted. And then I have to give a shout out to uh, Kansas City. First of all, I love going to Kansas City. It's, you know, my sort of home away from home. We're working on a big charity event there. So that's why I was there. But Park Hill and Liberty had an unbelievable duel. That was a two-point duel. Really, it was a one-point duel because there was a penalty point for a headgear throw. And there was probably 1,500 people for that. And it was probably... 2000 plus for the dual meet inside a gym. It was rocking. So I have to give Virginia credit. They, they came and really competed and I got to give Missouri credit, you know, for finding a way to win with at least two starters out and, you know, and giving up, you know, an upset, you know, an upset loss and bonus points along the way. They just, they find Brian Smith and that crew find a way to get it done. And I think, you know, if, if, I'm probably going to have Alex Clemson on again. And he talks all the time about tiger style and consistency and they found a way to get it done. And at the end of the day, 
you know, for a week or two, we talk about the how, and then for the next 10 years, we just talk about the what. And those guys are good at getting the what done. That's for sure. You know, I, I was in attendance when they came into Gallagher Iba last year and kept their streak alive. So I've been following their streak um, within you know, very intently since then. Um, Penn State's got a long one right now as well, but Missouri's is up to 26 duels in a row that they've won. Um, that's impressive, and it takes stuff like that. You know, sometimes that result didn't go, you know, the results didn't go as they had hoped at certain weights before that, but Lewis goes out there and gets the job done. Um, very cool moment for him. And it'll be tested again at the South Beach Duels as they'll go down there and wrestle both Cornell and Lehigh, and as long as, I mean, as well as Kent State and Purdue. Uh, so they're going to have to be on their game um, in a, in a, tough format i mean i know it's not meant to be grueling as grueling as the scuffle or the midlands uh but you know four duels even over two days that that can bang your body up a little bit so uh, i don't know exactly which order they're going to wrestle them in if they do it as listed um at what i'm looking at it'll be cornell second and lehigh fourth so i don't know who will be in the lineup for either team by the fourth duel of the second day um it'd be interesting to see who lehigh brings anyway but uh, missouri has a chance to continue extending that and you know yeah brian smith's doing a great job and they obviously have that attitude that we're going to go win duels which is uh you know it's fun to follow a team like that because you know they're going to try to win every time out so uh very cool yeah. and that was a good duel so awesome well, you know, and I'm buddies with Alex Clemson. I actually talked to him the next day because we're working on, like I said, we're working on something charity-wise. I said, man, way to pull it out. And uh, he goes, we got lucky. We didn't wrestle well. And I said, you don't get lucky 26 times in a row, man. <laughs> I said, you know, he, and he actually chuckled like you did. And I said, you know, I, I know you got to do the Lou Holt, aw shucks, we couldn't beat the girls' school, the blind thing. But I said, you guys have built something special there. I said, you know, you're at the point now where we don't care if you have two starters out. You guys better figure out a way to win if you're a Mizzou fan. I said, and, you know, that's that's where you want to be, where excellence is expected. So they've done an unbelievable job of creating the right culture there, for sure. Definitely. You know, I mentioned uh, South Beach Duels. That'll be really interesting again this year. It's the second year of the event. It'll be streamed on track wrestling. Um, and, you know, it's it's alongside Midlands in the scuffle. And, of course, you know, Midlands has the most history. Scuffle has a pretty good history. And now we've got South Beach Duels trying to make a little bit of history. They've, they've gotten even more teams involved this year. You know, they've got Cornell and Indiana, Kent State, Lehigh, Michigan State, Minnesota, Missouri, North Carolina, NC State, North Dakota State, Purdue, SIU, Edwardsville, Utah Valley, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming all down there. Um, you know, I mentioned the Missouri Cornell duel, so we could see Jaden Ironman against Yanni Dachmahalis again, uh, which if you don't remember, that was Yanni's only loss last year uh, in Correct. the South Beach yeah. duels. So that's cool. There's just a ton of ranked guys that will be down there this weekend. Uh, what are you looking forward to? I, I think Yanni, Jaden, right? Like, I think, you know, there's there's a bunch of individual matchups. I like, for me – you know, you, you and I work off this list and, you know, I, I'm going to look at those and just click on the matches. You know, it'll be fun on Saturday or Sunday. I don't know where I'm going to be at. Probably at some point on Saturday, I'm going to be watching uh, South Beach Duels and Clemson, Notre Dame and Alabama, Oklahoma, and then the UFC pay-per-view, you know, and then nerd out and watch the rest of the wrestling on Sunday. So, and then Sunday night, I will pull out my really short hair trying to figure out all the rankings knowing as soon as I, I land on something I'm happy about um, scuffle will happen and we'll redo all of that. So uh, yeah, and there's just a bunch of individual matchups. I think that I'm, I'm interested in, you know, but yeah, I think you hit the high point one. I, Lehigh, Missouri intrigues me if, if Lehigh's got everybody back, right. I, you know, as a duel, I think that's one where, you could see a lot of results. I would think Missouri's going to try to wrestle Colby Smith at 25 because they want to get him enough matches in, so he would bump into some good guys there. Uh, and, you know, a lot of these guys, I've had the opportunity to sit in the corner for them. So, you know, it, it adds a little level of uh, personal intrigue to me. Definitely. And, you know, I mean, Hayden Heidley, of course, we talked about last week, his struggles a little bit. He's got a chance to go up against Griffin Perriott. 
uh, this weekend. So that'll be interesting to watch. There's just a lot of guys like that. Um, you know, since it's not a tournament format, we, you know, a lot of these guys won't hit, but there's going to be plenty of matches that are very interesting down there. Um, and it's an interesting, from a, st- from a stat geek perspective, which I am very much one, uh, I'm interested to see as this event builds some history, um, to look at guys that go to South Beach versus guys that go to Midlands and guys go to Scuffle uh, and see if trends emerge as to which one may be the better choice. And, you know, it may, it should be team by team, you know, based on who you have and what the attitude of your team is, how experienced they are and all that stuff. But things, trends emerge, especially when you're talking about multiple day weigh-ins and rigors of a tournament, that kind of thing. And obviously the guys that went to Vegas, um, have already seen a tough two-day tournament, so maybe they don't need another one. Uh, but some teams are opting out of those completely. So it'll be interesting to see how that emerges. Um, two years is not enough data to really know that yet, but I, I'm watching that. I'll, I'll tell you that. Yeah, and coaches talk a lot about training cycles. When you talk to smart coaches, you know, a lot of the guys I get to talk to either on Matt Chat or just off the air as guys that are friends of mine, they talk about training cycles. And so these coaches put these schedules together, you know, like I talked to Lee Pritz and he talked about how Arizona state, because the PAC 12 isn't that deep has to really front load their schedule and they can't follow that strategy of, well, we're just going to kind of, you know, work on stuff the first, you know, first half of the year. And then we're going to really get in shape and go because they don't have time to make up seedings. And, you know, people argue rankings don't matter. Seedings don't matter. And they don't if you're the best guy, <laughs> but, but otherwise they do because matchups matter. And, you know, you, like you might be good enough to make the finals, but you might be stuck in the wrong matchup and not, you know, get past the one guy that, you know, is your kryptonite. So uh, what you're saying about which of these three processes are the best, uh, you know, I'm, I would love it if there was just one huge tournament and all these guys went to them, but I also understand why these other things exist and, you know, like you got the old school Kula Midlands and sort of the new school scuffle. And then South Beach is this, you know, really sort of hip idea that Rob Cole and Brian Smith put together. So, you know, and track's a big part of that. I know our man Andy Hamilton is getting his frequent flyer miles. He just, you know, I talked to him last night. He's coming back from Beast. Um, he's probably going to have time to have some gingerbread cookies and write a few award-winning articles and then have to get back on the road down to South Beach. Although, um, I have zero compassion for him getting to go to South Beach the uh, weekend before New Year's. So yeah, the weather. Is, the weather is nice. Uh, yeah, that's that's a you know I I would love to go to Chicago someday to see the Midlands. I've been in Chattanooga the last couple of years for the scuffle, and I will never complain about going to either of those places. But the weather in South Beach has them both beat. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So. Well, we do, one other thing, Alex, I guess we can talk about it next week, but you're, uh, you officially next week will be the last time you're the uh, journalist of the year. So how has 2018 been for you? Or is it like, is it like the military? Like once you're in, you're always in, is that how it works? Well, see, this is a little bit of fake news that you're trying to spread. Now you've said it before and I let it go, but, uh, you know, my, my, award from the national wrestling media association says 2017 18. So it's, it's a season award. I'm reigning until March when they name a new one. So, uh, I've got a, few, Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Well, I've got a few months told, left. Look, I, I, I will say, I think I was the first one to officially buy you a celebratory cocktail. 100%. So it, it was, it was not intentional for news, <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to put put any, any, any bad things out there on the streets. Uh, you know, Alex Deeringer acknowledged your greatness. That's right. Uh, before before they ran off the last four games of school <laughs> against us. But um, all right, so th- we'll officially have this talk in the summary after the national tournament. That'll be when we have it. So all right, absolutely, it's good to know. Yeah, and we'll, all right. I'm assuming whoever is named uh, the na- the journalist of the year for 2018-19 will take my place in this podcast. So I'm just trying to I'm just trying to hold it out until yeah. Here, I'm looking forward to my new co-host. Right, that's all I, all, all I all I do is groom journalists of the year. So <laughs> <laughs> is that all right? Well, it is Christmas Eve. I've got a household full of family. We've done an hour. Is there anything else we need to talk about before we go our separate ways? No, man, uh, I enjoy doing this every week with you a lot. Really enjoyed Perry. 
Um, hope you and your family have an awesome holiday, okay, man? You as well. And to all our listeners out there, thanks for listening. Thanks for taking a break to, to check out the wrestling world. We know you're, you've got a lot to do. And I hope you enjoyed the holidays and enjoy the wrestling coming up because it's going to be a good time of year once again. We're getting into the heart of it now. For David Mirakatani, this is Alex Steen signing off once again. Join us next week. Goodbye.